Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. Oh, man, I'm ready. I'm psyched this morning. So let me start off here uh, with a question for you. Does anybody have a fruit tree, access to fruit trees this morning? All right. We got a couple of you. Perfect. Uh, I'm only asking because... Uh, Trying to figure out how many pies to buy for Thanksgiving. I'm assuming that you are going to make me a fresh one. Um, and please don't. That's the last thing that I need. Um, so I'm only kidding. <clears throat> but seriously, if you told me you have a fruit tree, and I said, well, I don't believe you. You are lying. How could you prove to me that you have a fruit tree? Just bring me a fruit, Right? Or, or throw a fruit at me for not believing you. Or I could just say, well, you could have went to the store and, and bought that fruit. And so then you would just have to take me to that tree and, and show me, okay, this fruit comes from this tree. With that in mind, and I want to hear some answers here, what kind of fruit comes from an apple tree? Apple, yes, you guys are on it today. And a lemon tree, Lemons, yes, exactly, excellent. And so that shows me, you guys have read Genesis 1.11, which says, a part of it, fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. We know that's true. And so this image, knowing that now, this image throughout Scripture, uh, the image is of our faith showing what we believe. Like we know what we believe by the fruit that we produce. So here, here's a, a, a trick question for you this morning. Um, hopefully not a trick question by the end of the sermon, or I didn't do my job. Uh, what kind of fruit does faith produce? What kind of fruit does faith produce? Did I hear somebody say something? What was that? Yes, I hear some fruits of the Spirit. Yes, exactly. All those are correct, and there's another one that we're going to look at today, and that is the one they don't put on, on bookmarks, right? And it's works. Right? The fruit of our faith is works. Works are proof that you have faith, like that fruit is proof that, that your apple shows that you have an apple tree. Um, a guy a lot, a lot uh, better well-spoken than me, evangelist Billy Graham, uh, he would often ask this question. He asked it a lot. And he would ask, well, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Right? So why does he ask this question? Because he knows that if you say you're a Christian, that there's going to be evidence. And so you want to be convicted of being a Christian. But Dr. Graham did not invent that truth. You may remember uh, in John 15, John 15, 8, where Jesus is the one who says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Isn't that interesting? Bear fruit to prove you are disciples. 
because that's what proves it. It's like there will be evidence. There will be proof if you are a disciple. And we'll see this, this truth this morning, bearing fruit um, in the book of James. In fact, uh, the whole point, if you were to summarize the book of James, would be this verse that we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a couple verses, but this verse, which is um, chapter 2, verse 17, where it says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And that is our scripture memory verse for this week as well. But I, I think a lot of you know that as well, but... This is pretty serious. This is the verse that summarizes all of James, right? We want to show our religion. Faith without works is dead. That's why this series is called Faith That Works, right? It's kind of cute, right? Faith That Works. Because faith that works, works. Being born again and becoming a follower of Jesus should look differently. People should, people should notice that something is up with us. And um, God notices, and as Jesus said, God is excited, God loves it, God is glorified by it, which means, of course, that same fruit, when everybody else sees it in the world, they're annoyed by it, right? They hate it. Yeah, I was actually reading an article this week about someone who, used, who uh, wasn't a Christian and came to the faith and talked about one of the most annoying things about Christians is that they were always so happy and willing to help people. Right? It's kind of like that Ned Flanders. Oh, they're so annoying with their being so loving and, and helpful and, and not wanting to lie. What's up with that? What's wrong with them? So annoying. And so our text today is going to be James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. Our sermon title this morning is Demonstrated, Dead, or Demon. Let me pray for us. Lord, I, uh, we, Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for the ability uh, to worship you, to, to call out uh, to your name, to um, sing about your glory, Lord. <clears throat> Everything that's wonderful about you, Lord. We are thankful this week of Thanksgiving, Lord. We know Thanksgiving is not a biblical uh, a mandate or, or religious holiday, but um, it is a day that we, uh, quite frankly, give thanks, and we are more than thankful for all we have in Christ, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that gives us joy and, and patience and peace, Lord, and, um, and works, Lord. And so we ask, Lord, uh, this week especially, to, as we give thanks, to, to point others to you, Lord, as we have opportunity. I'm usually in different settings with um, maybe friends or family or just um, whatever it might be, Lord, maybe give, not be hesitant to give thanks to you, Lord. And if we have hesitancy, may you work on our hearts to, to, to overwhelm us, Lord, with joy for what you've done for us, Lord. Uh, please bless the reading of your word and the preaching of your word this morning to the glory of Christ, Lord, and our edification and becoming more like Christ this morning, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name and to his glory. Amen. Let's start in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And so this is, this is an interesting question because, uh, well, quite frankly, in English, we don't have this type of question. And so I'm not going to get really deep into the Greek except to tell you that 
This question isn't a question. It's a statement. It's, it, it's, it's pointing out the absurdity of the question. And so, so when James writes this, he's, he, in the sentence, he's giving you the answer. No. <laughs> no is the answer. Uh, this type of faith can't save them. And so as you might imagine, the reason James is writing about this is probably uh, a lot of people are thinking like this and they're talking like this. And so James has to address it head on. Um, and perhaps shockingly, maybe, maybe we've read this so many times, we don't realize that uh, his hearers were probably offended. They're probably boiling in their seats. Uh, maybe even us, maybe we should be offended by what he's saying if we're thinking about it this morning. But, you know, James, uh, he, he, he knows salvation is at stake. Why is he not going to do everything he can and so he uses these terms, like he's calling them as if I would call you, hey, you guys are dead. You guys are like demons. You guys are foolish. Why is he doing that? What's up with him? Like, why is this guy so cranky? Well, he's trying to let them know, trying to shock people. This is how serious it is. Death. Like, your demonic faith will end up in death. And so we find this in verse 14, this terrifying concept of a faith that doesn't work. Now, interesting that he calls it faith, which to me is more scary. He's not saying no faith doesn't work. He's saying there is a faith that doesn't work, that doesn't save. And so to help us better understand that, let's go ahead a few verses and look at verse 17, which states, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so what we find here is an equation, right? This is an equation. Faith plus no works, right, equals dead faith, a faith that is dead. So what does it mean that it's dead? Well, it doesn't save. It doesn't justify by God. It's, it doesn't exist. Like something is dead, it doesn't exist. This is not good. And so this horrifying reality that James is desperately trying to call out is there's people who profess the faith. They're professing the faith. Um, they are showing up to church because they're there to hear this. They're showing up. And they actually know a lot about the faith, as we'll learn in a couple of minutes. Right? So they say that they have faith. They show up in faith, can communicate the faith. And James is talking to them saying, your faith is dead. Works should show that Jesus has done a work in our heart. Right? That's the issue. That's what works are. <laughs> There's been a work done on us. We, we have to have works that are different. And consequently, if there's, those works aren't there, there is a problem. And this isn't a shaming. As I've said before, when James speaks, this isn't a shaming. This is a warning. Right? This isn't shame on you. This is don't do that. This is a correction. This is an error in thinking. You guys are thinking wrong. I've heard the end of service. I heard you guys talking together. What you were saying was wrong. It must be corrected. It's not unreasonable to believe that many who listened to James were upset. Maybe even said, no, dude, I think you're just a little too arrogant. I think you're wrong about the assessment of my faith. 
And so with that in mind, well, how does James respond? Well, he didn't even have to respond. He could have just said, well, you know, I'm James. Like, I have all these great names that people call me. I don't call myself. Jesus is my brother. But in the love, he gives four case studies, four case studies to show them that he is correct. And we're going to look at the first two of those this morning. Case study number one, is your faith demonstrated or do you have a dead faith? And we see this in verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they, they, that are needed for the body, what good is that? Is that faith? No. It, what good is that? It's not. It's there. He's, he's, it's a ridiculous question that he's asking. It's not good. These are brothers and sisters. These are Christians who have gathered like us. Imagine that if one of us showed up this morning and we were just wearing, I, I, like an equivalent might be, um, gosh, you would have like underwear on, right? Maybe like thermals, but not much else, not, not a sweater, not a button-up shirt, just bare, bare amount of clothing. Now, it doesn't say that the, the language isn't they were naked. The language is they had on like barely anything, barely anything. And so there is no modesty and certainly no warmth. Imagine one of us showing up starving. Like so bad, we were so starving that you knew. You could hear like, you couldn't hear me because you could hear their stomach growling, right? And they're shaking and they are just extremely malnourished. And so they could literally freeze to death or die of starvation before the next gathering. That's what he's talking about here. This is not good. This is an extreme example. And so what, are, what is the response by some of these professing Christians? The response is a blessing. It's a blessing. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. Go in peace. Be warmed. Be filled. The language of it, in fact, is very common early benediction language. Very beautiful Christian language. Don't get me wrong. Blessings are not bad. That's the point of this text is not blessings are bad. No, uh, we talk like that in this church, that's a win, right? However, we are not called to just say the right things, right? We are called to do the right things, right? We are to be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. And so if you tell someone, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, and you're not offering them any peace, right, or, or warmth, or helping them be filled, filled if you're able to do so, then James is saying your faith is dead. And I will say, maybe your heart is dead. Because I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of people who aren't Christians who would see the same situation and address it. These are Christians looking at another Christian in need and not meeting it. And, and so then the blessing becomes a, a sort of curse, an insult. Right? Right? James says such actions or lack of actions show that our faith is dead, that we are not saved, which can be a difficult teaching. 
But why is it difficult? Why is it a difficult teaching for us? Why is this a case study of our faith? What is being pointed out here? And I think the answer is easy. It's one we've talked about through James already. The issue here is that the failure to meet the needs of the brothers and sisters is a failure to love God and their neighbor. Right? I mean, it all comes back to that. That's what Jesus said. It's all about these. This is what James said. It's all about loving God with all your heart, mind, strength, right? your soul, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Being doers requires doing, loving God, and doing, loving our neighbor. And so the obvious failure here is to not love the neighbor, right? That one's obvious because... Um, for example, let's say you are going home tonight, which is like 5 o'clock right now at night, um, and you see your neighbor, and they're on the ground, and they are shaking, and they are maybe crying and starving. What are you going to do in that situation? Well, according to James's example, what we would do is say, hey, hey, yeah, hey, God bless you. Right? Praying for you, bro. Right? Positive vibes, man. You should eat something. You don't look too good. And it's absurd, right? I think most of us, if not, I would say all of us, actually, we, we would do something. Now, maybe we don't have a lot of food, but we have an extra blanket or, or vice versa. We can do something. Right? It, it doesn't say that works do everything, but works do something. There's some work we could do in that situation, or, or we'll get them to somebody who can help them. We can do something. We would do that to the neighbor to our home. Yet what James is talking about is brothers and sisters in the house of the Lord. Like, we're not talking about neighbors that we might not even like. We're talking about our eternal brothers and sisters in our midst who are our neighbors in need. And if we wouldn't help them, then we need to question our faith and whether we are saved. Now, the less obvious failure here is the failure to love God. To love God with all we have, with all of our heart, mind, body, soul, strength. You see, there's this intimacy between taking care of, of the needs, of the mercy needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ and our faith in Christ. It is so intimate. They work together. They are, are the same thing, right? Or, or, or you don't have faith at all. And James didn't make up this rule, right? This isn't grumpy, get off my lawn, James, just, just making it impossible for everybody to have fun, Right? Remember, James, the book of James is just the application of the teachings of Jesus, which he's heard his whole life. He's just applying what we've already heard in John or even in Matthew. In Matthew 25, verses 34 through 40, and this is Jesus talking. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. And I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. 
Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when, when did we do these things? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? I don't remember doing this. And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. And so now, overlay that, right? Reframe that, what James has said, with what Jesus has said, and do you see how they are the same? Do you see how they are compatible and work together you know, in favor of James's argument? How could you say you have faith in Jesus, and Jesus is saying that if you feed or clothe somebody, you are feeding or clothing him? You can't seriously, you can't seriously say you have faith in Jesus, that he is your savior, that he is your king and your shepherd and your friend and seeing, see him starving naked there and not want to help him. How could you do that? That's not faith. The truth is, as funny as this sounds, and I realize this is going to sound funny, Sometimes the greatest acts of our faith that prove that we are Christian, that glorify God, can be as simple as just giving somebody a hoodie or buying them some tacos. God glorifying proof of faith through simple, like just obscure, tiny actions that show that we have, that, that Jesus has done a work in our hearts. Right? You don't have to be Billy Graham, right? You just, you just buy somebody some tacos who's hungry. That, that is the gospel working. Ministering to a boor, poor and sick and hungry brother or sister, as Jesus said, is like ministering to him. How many of us have wanted to do something for Jesus? This is our chance. We have to think about it like that. Or if we have no heart for Jesus or for those he loves, then we have to question where our heart is. Do we even have faith at all? Real saving faith is demonstrated. It is demonstrated in actions. It is demonstrated in works. Which leads right into case study number two. Faith demonstrated, or faith of a demon? Oh, it's getting real now. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And so we have this hypothetical discussion, which is really uh, an opposition to, to case study one where James is talking to this guy, or our girl, and they are saying, that's cool, man. You have your works, that's great, but I have my faith. As though works were like spiritual gifts. And so some of us have them, some of, them, some of us don't. It's like spiritual gifts, only it's not. Works are not a special gift. Like, works are a regular expression of our faith. 
works show that we have received the gift of the gospel, that we have received it, and we want, we want to do something with it and bless others as we have been blessed. And as James rightfully questions, well, how are we going to compare faith if you have nothing to compare? I mean, it, it's a very valid, insulting question. Right? James is like, well, we're both saying we have faith. I'm saying I have faith by my works. And you're just saying, well, I have faith too. You just can't see it. You know, it's at home. Right? And so it's a, he's just like, dude, that is, that is not a good argument. But James plays along a little bit as we continue to read uh, the first part of verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe. So James is playing along a little bit. And so he's like, oh, okay, yeah, yes, yes, you have faith. Dude, that's awesome. Good, that, that, good for you, man. I'll tell you what. Your faith is so great, you have ascended, right? Your faith is just ascended to, to the next level. You have now ascended to, right, wait for it, you who has all that faith and no works, you have ascended to demon. Right? That's what it says. You, you, congratulations, man. Like, you, you caught up to the demons. You're there. Like, that, if that's what you're aiming for, you're there. After all, even demons believe. And so one error that James is pointing out by this that we can't miss is that we can't have the error of only having an intellectual faith. Faith is not mere intellectual assent. As James points out, that to, to the, probably the offense and annoyance of his hearers. Yeah, demons believe that stuff too. Demons believe what we believe. The existence of God, the deity of Christ, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the existence of heaven and hell. Yeah, they believe it. Okay, so that's what you got. So you're saying that's where you're at. You have just, you, have, you believe what demons believe. Cool. And then so we have this equation in verse 19 to update our equation. Faith plus solid belief, good, solid theology, plus no works, where are we at now? Equals demon-esque faith. I don't know if that's a word, but you get it. Demon-like, demon-esque faith is, is where that ends you. And so what we see now, as we continue in verse 19, we're going to read the whole verse now, verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. It's great. Even the demons believe and shudder. And they shudder. And so what we find here is something that's good but, but it, it's not going to give you a saving faith. And, and so what we have here is emotional faith. Emotional faith from demons. Their faith is not only right belief, it is right response. Right? So demons, they have some pretty good faith. Their theology provokes trembling. Amen. That's some good theology. When you start trembling, yeah, your theology is probably pretty good. Now, a more accurate translation as I research this, the shudder actually isn't the, a, a correct translation. I think it's fair because we don't use the actual word. Um, 
which is to thristle. We don't use that word, so we're not going to translate it to that. And what does that mean? Well, if you have a cat, my cat doesn't do this, but if you have a cat and you scare it, it thristles. Like it bows its back, its hair, you know, pops out, it, it hisses. It is like the worst thing. A, a cat never wants to do that. Cats want to be cool, you know, j- j- just smooth. Cats do never want to be thristle. So when they're thristle, that's the last thing they want to be. They are scared, they're terrified, they're uncomfortable. That's not where they want to be. And that, that's where demons are, it says, because their theology is correct. They are scared because they should be scared. And so should we. We should be thristling if our faith is only based on intellect or emotion. Intellect and or emotion. Both those things are great. I want both of those things for everybody in here. That is not saving faith. Not according to James. If we update our equation here, we have faith plus solid belief, your good theology, and emotional response. Add to that zero works well, you have a dead, demon-esque faith. And so what do we do with this? What do we do with this equation, right? Well, how does this apply to our lives? How do, how do we apply these two, these two case studies? Well, you're probably thinking to yourselves correctly. Well, we just got to figure out where we are in the equation, which, which, what looks like us, and make adjustments. That is correct. Correct response. But I believe this is where most Christians fail. I believe this is where most Christians fail because we read this, we read James's argument, it's a great argument, and so we will think the application is to look at our works. Okay, well, I'm convicted. Do my works match my faith? I would argue the application of this is the whole equation Do you have faith and do you have works, right? Do you even have a demon-esque faith or or are you going to miss the whole faith part and do the works, which is also dead faith, although it's not an issue here to James's congregation, but you can have all the works, work master, if you don't have the faith, it's still not, it's still dead faith, it's still a non-existent faith because you don't have all of it. And so with that in mind, I I really want to ask us three simple questions this morning One is, do you know God? And or, I know it's just two questions, but do you know God? Do you understand God? Do 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 you know what you believe? James said these workless people, not worthless, workless people, and even demons knew God. They knew what they were dealing with. They're not ignorant. And so the question I know for me this morning that, that rubs me the wrong way is, are we going to let demons know more about our God than us? Is that where, we at, where we're at in our faith? I don't want some demon knowing more about my awesome God. And if you don't have works this morning, then I would argue maybe what you're missing is this knowledge and understanding of God. Maybe that's how your works come. Maybe you would push back against this idea of a workspace faith, because faith, because how is that faith? We'll talk more about that next week. But the answer to that, if you're fighting against the fact that you need works in your life, is you need a better understanding of who God is. Second, 
do you have an emotional response to the Lord? And, and you can see, I'm just going through our text. We can ask hundreds of questions, but according to this text, do you have an emotional response to the Lord? Okay, what emotions? When? Where? James says that demons shake. You're going to let demons have more of a, an emotional response to your God? Right? Jesus says in Luke, the rocks cry out. Right? Those inanimate rocks outside cry out. You're going to let them have more of an emotional response than us to our great God? Are we not emotionally moved, church? To smile? To lift our hands? To raise our hands? To clap? To say amen? To beat our chest? And I'm telling you now, we need to work on this. Right? I'm just telling you. I, I pray for this congregation. This is something we need to work on. More of an emotional response to the Lord and to his word in, in our worship. Maybe this morning you would say, and I think this is where most people start, well, I have a faith. Okay, well then ask yourself, do you have works that show your faith? And I want, to, I want us to think about this in two ways this morning. The first is, do we have, to look around, do we have physical needs in the church body? Do we have physical needs that need to be met in the church body? These are the examples we found in case one, verses 15 and 16. Are there needs in the church which you are able to meet, mind you, which you are able to meet? You might be the other person. And if you, your reaction to those is just, God bless you, bro, you know, thinking about you, positive vibes, you know, and, and you're not meeting that need, well, you need to. Instead, we need to bless. We need to bless that need through our faith in God. Bless that need through our faith in God, which God says, you know, Jesus says, it's like you're doing it to me. So the need is met, our faith is proven, and we've done this to Jesus, so it's win, win, win. There's nothing wrong about helping your brother and sister in need, and everything is great about it. And just because you don't see a need doesn't mean there's not a need. People don't come to church usually letting everybody know. People don't want people to know they have a need. And so if you're in a position where you're wondering who, who, who has a need, you know, ask an elder, ask a deacon. There are people with needs here. And so if you're moved this morning to, to help people meet needs, depending on what it is, let us know. Now, we may not tell you names, depending on the situation. We won't say names. We want to protect some people. But again, let me know where you're at, and, and we, we can have that discussion Second, ask yourself, do we have spiritual needs in the church body? Do we have spiritual needs in the church body? And so we all have spiritual gifts, all of us. We all have spiritual gifts that we need to use for the building up and edification of the church. Sometimes the work that we can do, that we need to do this morning, is using our spiritual gift, which was given to us, 
right? To, to bless other people. And so maybe for that person who doesn't know everything they need to or want to about God, and you have a gift of teaching, you need to do that work. Or perhaps even the holiday season where there's people here who, who don't have a lot of family or friends, they need your gift of hospitality and encouragement, and that is work that you can do. Even if you don't have a lot of resources to offer, you have a gift to offer that God gave you to offer and use. If you have a family under your roof, you have work to do. Put your faith to work. Put your faith to work or question whether you have faith. James has repeatedly issued test after test to make sure that we aren't deceiving ourselves. Not to make us feel bad, so that we don't ultimately feel bad, so we don't deceive ourselves, right? True saving faith has actions and works that can be identified. True saving faith has actions and works that show that our faith is alive and well in Jesus. Just as Jesus is alive, right, and well and wanting to do works through us, right, that he's predestined for us to do. And so I just ask you about, you know, your faith. Is your faith demonstrated? Or is your faith dead? Or is it somewhere in between? Is your faith demonic? Let me pray for us. Lord, you are good. We love you. We love your word. We love you, Lord, that you would tell us the truth, that you would use people like James to say things that might make us uncomfortable, that would make us question our faith. But you do that because you want our faith to be saving and true and genuine. And so we thank you for these hard teachings, Lord, and we thank you for the grace of the conviction of the Holy Spirit to tell us we need to work on something. Lord, I want this church, Lord, more than any church in Vegas, and not just us, but, but this is where we are. I want this to be a church where you are glorified. enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.